AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Hold it. Now release slowly. Again. Deep inhale. Hold. Release. Repeating internally to yourself as you connect to my voice. I am deeply well. I am deeply well. I am deeply well. I'm Debbie Brown, and this is the Deeply Well Podcast. Welcome to Deeply Well. I'm your host, Debbie Brown, and as always, we are diving into the crevices (laughs) in service to expansion. This episode, I am so excited to bring back to the show uh, one of, by far, 
the most cult classic favorite episodes. <laughs> like <laughs> the amount of messages I got about the episode that I did last season with this amazing man was just through the roof. People are asking for part 10. <laughs> so we'll see what we can do. We're definitely on the second today. I am joined by none other than healer, best-selling author, master coach, or organizational strategist, healer, again, I have to say, a longtime therapist and a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the healing of trauma. He's also the founder of the Cultural Somatics Institute, a cultural trauma navigator and a communal provocateur and coach. Last time Resma was here, we spoke about one of his best-selling books, My Grandmother's Hands, which radically changed the world of healing to this mm -hmm. approach that he developed over many, many decades. He then led the charge, really speaking to the divide that we've been experiencing in America with the quaking of America. And now he is back with another book to fuel us and feed us in this very paradigm-shifting moment of human history, mm. Monsters in Love. Mm. Welcome to the show, Resma Minikim. Thank you for having me, sis. <sighs> <laughs> you know what's so interesting? So you're a healer. I'm mm -hmm. a healer. Mm -hmm. Anytime we share space, mm -hmm. instant regulation. Yeah. Don't have to do anything. Right. The vibrational right. energy right. is just, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. you've set yeah. in, yeah. you're centered, yeah. you're grounded. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Monsters in Love. Mm -hmm. This is a big book. Mm -hmm. I had the pleasure of, at the time of recording now, last night you and I were in community. That's right. And I was able to do a Q&A with you on your new book with your community. Mm -hmm. And... It was absolutely mind-blowing um, the way that you were diving into what feels like a completely new approach for so many people and mm. understanding love, mm. understanding their role in love and in relationship, and especially in speaking to relationship as a tool mm -hmm. of healing and transformation, mm -hmm. its intended use, mm -hmm. the way God designed it. Mm -hmm. What led you to say now is the time to speak to this piece of the healing puzzle? Um, so, so uh, Monsters in Love is actually kind of like a remake, right? Mm. So, so I had, so my second book was a book called Rock the Boat. Um, Rock the Boat uh, was originally with another publisher. A mm. publisher went out of business. I got my rights back. Right. And between the time I first wrote that book and um, and now I've evolved, I've grown just in just in terms as a as a as a therapist, as a healer, as somebody who works with other bodies. I'm not the same dude I was when I wrote it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I got the rights back, I just put it to the side. Um, and as I started to go back and read it again. There were parts that now I'm like, oh, I want to change that. Uh -huh. I'm not the same person. Um, I'm not the same therapist. I'm not the same healer. Uh, my, my eye in terms of what happens in relationships is different. It's more mature now. Mm. And so Monsters in Love was really, 
um, about how I began to integrate some of my own learning, some of my own emergence. Um, and so, uh, I think why, why it's relevant now is I actually think because of all of the things that I've done before, it led me up to a place to where I said, Oh, now I can work with, uh, the couples work the same way I work with communal work. Mm-hmm. I can do the couples work the same way I do organizational work. I can do the couples work now. Um, and it took me years to get to that place. And so that's why I think Monsters in Love is so important now is because this idea of understanding um, historical, mm-hmm. intergenerational, persistent institutional, race, sex, sexuality, like all of those pieces, I think we're at a place now where we maybe possibly can hold it. Mm, 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 mm. You know, it's so, it's just so divine. I think the, the placements of your books, because I even am recognizing how your work is building tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. In everyone. That's the whole that thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, the attempt is to get us practiced, Right. Yes. I, I I use this analogy. Like if 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 I called you one day and I said, Hey Debbie, um, I'm thinking about running a marathon and you've been my sister, you go, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's really cool. You know, anything I can do to support you, da 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 and um and we would go back and forth. And then you might get the bright idea to ask me a question, right? You might say, hey, when do you think, of, do you have an idea in your mind when you're thinking about running this marathon? And if I looked at you and I said, I'm thinking about running it tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You'd go, okay, I got to ask another question now, right? And if you say, well, have you been running? <laughs> right? Have you been um, watching what you eat? Have you run a block first? And if I looked at you in all seriousness and I said, no, but I read a book on it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No, but I talked to a dude who ran, right? Mm-hmm. You'd get concerned about me now, mm-hmm. right? You'd have, Now you would have to reality test with me because what you know is, is that I'm about to put my body through something that I am unprepared to contend with. Yeah. And relationships are the same thing. Yeah. We put, we, we, we are unprepared to deal with the charge of what it means when I say I choose you. Mm-hmm. Right. And we all think just because we choose a person, we're ready for the charge. Mm-hmm. We're ready for the weight. We're ready for the speed. We're ready for the texture. And we are not. And so Monsters in Love is really my attempt for us to begin to say, slow it down. Yeah. Let's start doing the things that get us conditioned Mm. so we can hold what is about to come from an historical place, from an intergenerational place, from a persistent institutional place, and then our own personal lived experiences. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let's start at the top. (laughs) Because there... This book, it's a phenomenal book. And I really, my deepest desire for anyone tapping into the show today and resonating with our voices and hearing us is to help you create a new understanding of the way relationship works in your unique life based on who you are and your experiences so that you can alleviate suffering and find more joy in them and Mm -hmm. use them as the tools they're actually designed to be. Mm -hmm. So I want to start at the top with you. Mm -hmm. 
Talk to me about the intended evolution of relationship, Mm -hmm. because this is a piece that Mm -hmm. we have all always gotten wrong. Right. And society has really primed us for this, right? Mm -hmm. Like even back to the Disney movie days. Absolutely. When we're wearing those traditional roles of provider and support or however, however, you know, they've showed up for you in your life or in your culture. But there is always this blueprint that I would say never actually feels authentic to anyone. Yeah. And it's based on timetables that are so simple mm-hmm. and don't actually have like a sacred weight to yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like meet, fall in love, <laughs> have sex somewhere in the that's, midst of all that. That's right. And get get engaged, get married, have a child. That's right. That's right. Retire. That's right. And then, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay. And yeah. what about the individuals doing those things? Yeah. So if you would share with us, what is really the intended evolution and even purpose yeah. for intimate relationship? Yeah. So, so one of the things that happens is that we have all been conditioned by our understanding of relationship, either through our caregivers, mm-hmm. um, through the messages that we receive on TV, um, in movies, uh, what our friends say to us about what the correct way is to do things and be things, right? And ends up happening is, is that we miss what actually, we're so conditioned that if, if I meet somebody and I have butterflies in my stomach, Hmm. And if I meet somebody and I have this like magical thing that happens between, you know, happens between us and, and I know this is the person, we have been conditioned to believe that that is what should be from now on. Yes. Yes. Right. And like I said last night, the only purpose of that is to draw you together. Hmm. The only purpose of that, of those particular pieces is to present Com- like when you're when you're when you first get together, you're the only thing you're really sharing is commonalities mm-hmm. and things that you both agree to, right? It's serving its purpose, but then there's another purpose that happens, and that's beginning to highlight and show the things that you don't agree with, and that's when we think something is going wrong. That's when we think that our partner is not the right person for us. That would, that's when we start thinking communication and, um, compatibility issues are coming up. And what I'm saying is, is if we could begin to slow it down and see that there is a purpose, a function for expressing your differences mm-hmm. and, and how you move in the world differently and understand the world. There is a function of it. It is not the problem. There is a function of it. And we, as, as particularly here in America, we haven't inquired or interrogated what the function of that is. Mm-hmm. And the function of it is, it is designed to make you begin to, 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 to work with the energy around being connected to somebody that's important to you, that matters to you, and maintaining a clear sense of yourself while you're doing it, and being able to soothe your own hurts and your pains while you're doing it. It is not either for them to turn themselves over to you or for you to turn yourself over to them. Right? Mm-hmm. And that and that that kind of Disney conditioning yeah. is like turn yourself over. Yeah. They kiss you and you wake up from a sleep and now you're the princess, 
right? Or now you're the prince and you say, right? And we all go into relationships with some rem- and it doesn't matter if I'm talking about heterosexual relationships, homosexual relationships, or any other relationship where there's two people, right? It doesn't matter. We all have been conditioned by it and we have not interrogated interrogated it so it always shows up as a bottleneck as a gridlock Mm -hmm. and our only conditioning in terms of like psychology and marriage therapy and all that different type of stuff revolves around well let's just get find out the problem alleviate the problem and fix the problem Mm -hmm. and what's really going on is that there is a piece in you that's asking you to grow the hell up Right. To grow up in ways that that you have been able because you haven't been with somebody, you've been able to get to that line and then figure out a way around it. Yeah. Right. And what that suffering's edge does when you choose another person, what the suffering's edge does is the suffering edge says, look, you can find a way around it. You can bring another person in. You can act like it's all their problem. You can do all of that. And this particular time. Let's not do that. Mm. Let's not blow all of this through through our partner. Let's actually sit with this mm-hmm. and 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 not take it all on ourselves, but actually work with the energy of what is beckoning me. But before I met this person, what is the thing? What is the purpose that's tied to my integrity? The gnawing that's happening for me right now. I always tell people the gnawing is health. Mm. The gnawing is not health. And what we've been taught is to kill the gnawing or get rid of the gnawing and not metabolize the energy that's creating the gnawing. Okay. Sit there, please. Please, 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 please. (sighs) This gives me chills because this is... um, hmm. Part of the reason I believe bodies of culture and those that have experienced complex trauma Mm. of all backgrounds. Come on, come on. The fight (laughs) is to come into your body often for the first time. Often for the first time. That is the biggest, the hardest, the most important piece of the puzzle for healing. You have to be present for your life. You have to be present inside this vessel that's, right. that's been designed to hold your soul. So very often in some of our communities, there is this charge that we don't have language for around all kinds of things. When anger comes up, when love comes up, when desire comes up, it's a feeling that is so foreign because many of us are robbed of the opportunity to feel, to know how, to learn how. Mm -hmm. So you are just having these experiences inside Mm -hmm. that you don't know how to talk about. You don't know what their intended purpose Mm -hmm. is. And so it's so overwhelming Mm -hmm. and it makes you completely jump out of yourself Mm -hmm. very often, detach, shut down, Mm -hmm. all the things Mm -hmm. That keep us from ourselves and our and one another. Mm-hmm. That's the baseline, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So as you're speaking to these feelings, right? Like even that feeling of desire mm-hmm. that can first come up. Mm-hmm. And for some, it can be the feeling of, oh my God, this is the one, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. for others, it's just that lustful feeling, mm-hmm. that passionate mm-hmm. feeling. Or terror. Mm, okay. 
can you talk about this piece mm-hmm. and why in your first book, you really masterfully unpack the understanding of needing to build tolerance yeah. to receive good things. Yeah. And that exists in our loving relationships too. So so think about it like this, sibling. Um, many of us come from bodies that were brutalized for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Like legally brutalized, Right. Those nervous systems got shaped around the brutalization. Okay? Wow. It is a relatively new occurrence, right? That me and you could be sitting here doing what we're doing and have some sense of sovereignty over our own bodies. For most of me and your history, mm-hmm. we, the white body, had full and unfettered access to our bodies. Wow. Full and unfettered. I mean, every every idea, every orifice, there was no protection. Oof. So that charge had we had to organize our communities around that charge. We had to organize our nervous systems around that charge. So when we get into a relationship with somebody, that charge presents itself Mm. and it can look like terror. Mm. It can look like horror. It can look like rejection. Mm. It can look like anxiety. It can look like depression. That's because it's been decontextualized and we internalize it as a personal defect as a as opposed to it being structural and philosophical. Oh, my God. So when we as black bodies come into contact with each other, even if I love you, Mm. the the historical charge also floods into the room without context and without understanding and without moorings to navigate it. And so part of our work is to slow it down enough to, to, to allow the, the energy to condition us. Many times what we do is, it, is we gorge on it mm. rather than nibble on it. Mm. We want it all, but we can't tolerate it. So we break apart. So we push away at the same time that we're saying, come, come closer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That has to be that. That's because what happened to us did not happen to us individually. Mm. It happened to us communally. So only developing a communal, only developing an individual response to a communal horror is inadequate. Mm. Part of the reason why many of us can't be in relationships or have a very difficult time in relationships is because we've been seeing this whole process as an individual endeavor as opposed to what happened to our peoples and how our people's bodies got organized around the brutality and the feralness. And so what I try and help our people do, sis, is first slow it down, orient, move your bodies, touch your body. Mm. Watch like one of, one of, one of the practices that I have in, in, uh, in, um, in my grandmother's hands is just get in front of a mirror. Mm. I can't tell you how many times people say they skip over that practice. 
just take your clothes off and stand in front of a mirror and notice how long you can stand there. Now, sometimes you could, you just look and you pack up. There's nothing going wrong. It's too much. You notice there's too much charge. Walk away. Mm. Then come back again. This is the conditioning. It'd be the same way if I was trying to show you how to shoot a jump shot or show you how to throw a punch, right? You can't throw one punch and you're conditioned. You don't understand nuance yet, Mm. right? And for our people, we've been conditioned that if you choose somebody, you're already conditioned. You're not conditioned. And so when all of this charge and weight and texture comes into the room with somebody that you love, Mm. You don't know what to do with it, even if it feel, even if you have the experience that this is a good thing. It's also vulnerable. It's a good thing. It's also terrifying. It's a, and we haven't interrogated that individually, in a couple, or communally. AT and T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. It's almost here. The NYX anniversary sale starts this Thursday, May 9th at KNIX.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. So mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th for the NYX anniversary sale. Get 30% off all leak-proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Don't miss this. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. 
and of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Deeply well. Can you expand on the terror of vulnerability? Yeah. And how that keeps us from love, from our own love Mm -hmm. and from connection with someone you really want to have love with. That's right. So, so, um, when you're out here just running wild and ripping wild, and you, you know, you just, you know what I mean? Sowing seeds. You sowing, okay. yeah, you sowing. <laughs> <laughs> you doing the thing, right? When you out here doing that, there's a lot of choices. You got a lot of choices, a lot of moves you can make, right? The moment you say, I choose you, mm-hmm. it shifts. And we all know it. People say it all the time. Before we got married, it was cool. Soon as we moved in together, they lost their mind. If that ain't the exact phrase that you hear. Constantly. Constantly. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and it's because, the reason why we say that is because we haven't interrogated and slowed down enough to really unpack what that means. We, when we say that, we, we make it a particular personal thing. Like, yeah. she lost her mind. Yes. He lost her mind. They lost their minds. Right? Yes. But there's actually a function in that. Right? Mm. The moment when I'm out here wilding and ripping and running, and I'm by myself. I have infinite choices and moves that I can make. Mm. There is nobody who is, who has more say so and control over my life mm. than me. Mm-hmm. There is no influence that I have to negotiate, right? But the moment I say, baby, let's move in together. At that exact moment, my choices become finite. When my choices become finite, I get pushed up against my development in that exact moment. Cause I never had to get pushed when I was doing, when I was by myself mm-hmm. or just dating. Mm-hmm. The moment I say, let's move in together, my choices become finite. More of what I do and don't do revolves around what you do and don't want to do. Mm. My vulner- I immediately come to my vulnerability at that moment. Mm. Mm. And soon as you come to your vulnerability at that moment, you try and figure out a way to lessen the vulnerability. And many times, I say this one thing I, I've said a lot. Many times people have affairs and relationships Mm -hmm. not because the partner is not important it is because the partner is too important for them to actually show themselves to okay it's really easy to go find somebody in the club and tell them all of the things that i want that 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 look like 
all of the intimate things and all of the secrets and all that stuff. But that person that's laying there on the pillow with me, they are too important for me to let them see these parts of me. Mm. So I can... I'll do it with somebody I pick up in a club or pick up at church or pick up, right? Yeah. But this person, because it matters to me what happens to their eyes when I say, hey, I really want to do this thing. If I can't maintain a clear sense of myself, when I look in your eyes, Mm -hmm. I'll start to shave it and move it around and not say it Mm -hmm. and not express it because the look of disgust in your face I can't tolerate. And it seems like that's a problem for you, but it's actually a problem for me. Am I going to grow parts of myself up? Am I going to develop the ability to more myself so even with you, I can let you see me behind my eyeballs and hold on to myself at the same time? Most people can't do that when they say, I choose you. I can do it with somebody in the club, but not you, because it actually matters when I see disgust. It actually matters when you say, I ain't doing, that's nasty. Mm. If I can't maintain a clear sense of myself, then I'm going to either make you give yourself up in order for me to feel better, or I'm going to give myself up in order for me to feel better. And nothing's going wrong when that happens. That's the function. It forces you up against, are you going to be clean about this or are you going to be dirty about this? That's it. Yeah. Adults don't get a choice between pain and no pain. Adults get a choice between, am I going to do this clean or am I going to do this dirty? Mm -hmm. The choice, the, the, the other choice of possibly not having as much pain, that happens after you make this one. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Does that make sense? Does, does this make sense? Okay. Yeah, it makes deep sense. Okay. And I think, you know, anyone listening, because that, that hits on a lot for a lot of people. And that piece, you know, part of the way we were just speaking to it was a little more sexual in nature. But that is that vulnerability piece is with everything. With everything. Right? With absolutely shows every a- function of Every kind of relationship, not just a coupling or right. a romantic partnership. Right. Here, the, so, so there are particular things in relationships that we say, we, let's just agree to disagree, that we actually can't agree to disagree about. Ooh, tell me. Right? You can't agree to disagree to have half a baby. <laughs> like if somebody is in a relationship and you're in a relationship with somebody yeah. and you want to have a baby and your partner do, doesn't, there is no agree to disagree with that. Yeah. You are going to grind. You are going to fight because it is about importance. Is this important to you? The agree to disagree is usually a way to get around the most ardent issue that me that that's about usually people's integrity. I am and I want these particular things. You want these particular things and they're juxtaposed to each other. We can't agree to disagree about that. Yeah. We're going to have to rub and grind and fight and then see what emerges from that. Yeah. And people don't want to do that. They want to come into a therapist and pay the therapist all that money for them to figure out a, a figure out the uh, um, to get a solution for the problem. There is no solution. There's only emergence. Grow 
up and you keep not wanting to grow up. Yeah. This is a conundrum that is not to be fixed. Mm. Mm. Is, is that, does that make sense? Deeply. What I'm hearing especially is, you know, part of the reason there's no solution and there's nothing to be fixed is because there is something that must be created. And that creation will either be to deciding that there will be a shared interest, a shared desire that they feed. Over time. Over time. And or we are going in two separate ways. And now it's time to create our individual paths. And it becomes clear when you do it cleanly as opposed to going around it. Can we can we speak on the importance of integrity? And yes. Can you give because you know I think something within a lot of our communities mm-hmm. is we have different definitions than perhaps other people. We've learned words, applied uses to words in different ways, right? So, if you would share your definition of integrity and how that operates in relationship, integrity is that thing that's literally tied to creation and purpose. Mm-hmm. Integrity is that thing that when you're by yourself that gnaws at you that says, this could be different. Yes. And you're not. Yes. yes. In alignment with what could be. Yes. Right? Not in alignment with what could be. Integrity is that piece that says there's something, there's, I'm tied to something other than just what I want. Mm -hmm. I'm tied to creation itself. Mm -hmm. It gnaws at you. It's not butterflies on your nose, right? It's not like love and rainbows. It is the thing that says, are you going to live into the person you want to be and also be connected to other human beings that are important to you? Now, that might not you may get the answer coming from the other side. That's the other side where the person says, I don't want to do this with you yeah. anymore. Yeah. Right. But though that, that decision can come from integrity or fear. And many times we are, we haven't been conditioned and honed to know what the integrity piece, how we, how that senses in our body, how we notice it. Yeah. We know the fear piece. We know what that terror is like. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is that there's a resource here. There's another resource that will allow us to work with it differently. Hmm. But it has to be cultivated. It has to be cultivated. The way that I experience integrity, it's it's my North Star. Mm-hmm. So integrity for me is like that internal GPS. That's exactly and right. I have a deep commitment to my integrity so it's like even if it's something i really want that feeling comes in it doesn't matter that's right have to follow the the internal guidance and a lot of people and this is why i talk about conditioning and tempering like the running of the marathon a lot of people think that this is something that does not have to be cultivated yeah we think we should have it Right. And there is a piece that's tied to creation that we have, but a lot of us haven't cultivated our embodied sense of it. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so, so what look like, what sometimes what looks like integrity, what looks like integrity is really um, intractability. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that I'm steadfast. Right. People mistake those types of things sometimes as integrity when it's really another way around 
things yeah. sometimes. And that's, this is the, <laughs> this is the interrogation pieces, right? Yeah. Um, and so a lot of my work is really about slowing down to be, to give yourself enough time to interrogate things. Yeah. 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 Mm. I want to speak about practices. One of the things that we talked about last night um, as we were kind of diving into your book and in the Q&A was around not when you're when you're in a space like this as a couple, perhaps, right? When you are a monster in love, Mm -hmm. it's not about creating more shared experiences as a couple. Right. Right. Can you please talk about this piece? Yeah. So, 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 um, I think about it like, you know, when when we get into a relationship with somebody and we, the, the quote unquote, two shall become one, right, type of thing. Mm-hmm. And we're living our lives, right? And, um, you know, this is, this is one of the problems where I have when people say my better half, <laughs> right? As if it's, as if it's, as if you were half. And the other person made you whole. Mm. The moment that you have, the moment you start working with that concept, mm-hmm. if somebody's happy, you, they get say so in everything, right? It is a, it is, it is, it is, it is, it is, it is a, we purposely put ourselves in vulnerable positions, right? Um, because we've been conditioned to do so. This idea of, of, of half and this idea of, of the two shall become one puts us in a position to where our partners are, are it's, it's what I call reflected sense of self, right? Mm-hmm. Reflected sense of self, and this is from one of my mentors, Dr. Davis Narsh. Reflected sense of self is that when I look at you, my sense of who I am is reflected in your eyes back to me. Mm-hmm. So if you love me, I'm lovable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're disappointed in me, I'm disappointing. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of us have those types of relationship with people. And so we don't have any sense of our own sense of self. Mm-hmm. The, 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 there is, it is a, it, it, my sense is of other, a other sense of self as opposed to a, a, a uh, uh, my own sense of self myself. Right. It's yeah. both. Right. It matters to me what you think about me, but it matters to me what I think about me. Two, yeah, right. Not not letting go of you in order to be with me. I can hold both. That's the conditioning pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, a lot of times, what happens in relationships is these I, these concepts around being in or your better half, um, or your partner being your better half, pushes us into gridlocks, right? That could be emergent, could help us grow up, but a lot of times just keep us at each other's throat. Yeah. Right. Because you matter too much. Right. And th- and when I say that, I'm not saying I'm trying to that you shouldn't matter to me. I'm saying many times your mattering supersedes my mattering. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. 
thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. It's almost here. The NYX anniversary sale starts this Thursday, May 9th at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. So mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th for the NYX anniversary sale. Get 30% off all leak-proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Don't miss this. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Deeply well. Resma and I are talking really large concepts. Mm -hmm. Like these are actually the things that we're kind of maybe even sound casual about that Mm -hmm. we are expressing right now are the fundamental pieces the foundational pieces of how we know love or don't, how mm. we love or hate ourselves throughout our lives, Absolutely. what we're able to have access to. So something I really want to center for everyone listening is the gravity of this, right? Like this piece that you just expressed, mm. talking about the inner workings, talking about the mechanisms that take place in people of how, for instance, um, 
a lot of language that is important that we're discussing, but is sometimes misunderstood or mm-hmm. overly labeled mm-hmm. is the dynamic of like a narcissistic relationship yeah. or yeah. a codependent relationship. Yeah. And yeah. granted, if you find yourself with a narcissist, please run, run yeah. fast. Absolutely. And a lot of what Resma just described is what is going on inside mm-hmm, of that mm-hmm, body mm-hmm, of the narcissist mm-hmm, and inside of the body mm-hmm, of what is often referred to as the empathic person mm-hmm, or the codependent mm-hmm, person. Mm-hmm. And so it's about really juggling an againstness of self mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. trying to find an outlet for it while mm-hmm. also not revealing too much about oneself mm-hmm. and being committed to not being seen. Mm-hmm. And when you're committed to not being seen, we cause irrecoverable harm Mm -hmm. to one another and to our family systems, right? And so generationally, because it's it's such a wide view, Mm -hmm. this is how it happens. And so in the day-to-day programming, it may not seem like that big of a deal, right? right? It may just be like, oh, man, we don't never get along. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're arguing. It's okay if the kid's here. You're in the thick of it. It seems natural. It seems normal. And it seems on par with what you're seeing in the rest of society on television, your friends, your family. But those mechanisms that seem Mm. like the smaller pieces, those are the seeds that create generational harm, generational trauma. Absolutely. And keep us from being able to love each other. Absolutely. So, so I, I want to be clear here, just as a therapist, that, that there are a lot of terms that we use that people don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Like a lot of people are using, oh, they're a narcissist, they're this, they're that, they're, and, 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 and really that's a diagnosis. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and the idea, like, like, I, so this, this piece around narcissism and being a narcissist. Mm-hmm. The underlying piece, like narcissism, you know, borderline, all of these different things. You know what the root of all of those is? Trauma. Trauma. We don't want to talk about that. Somebody who developed, who has a narcissistic personality, that's, that is a really, if you, if you peel back the edges, most people who have a narcissistic personality have demonstrative trauma. Yeah. Right? I'm not even talking about the historical stuff yet. Yeah. I'm not even talking about the intergenerational stuff yeah. yet. Right? I'm not even talking about the persistent institutional stuff yet. Personally, many times these people have horrible trauma. Yeah. Right? Immense and Immense and brutality. Yeah. Right? And so I just really try and, you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with somebody that is harming you, sometimes the best thing that you can do for you and them is not allow them to harm you anymore. Yes. That's the choice. That's the right? choice. That's the choice. And so. Fixing. That's right. It's a removing. And so, so, so for me, rather than trying like, okay, you know, this person is narcissistic, this person is this, this person is, you know, borderline yeah. and, and bipolar and all that different type of stuff. I think, I think, I think we would be better served 
especially in relationships, especially in our communities and in communities of culture, I believe that we would be better served by really understanding that sometimes you get into a relationship with somebody who you need to not be in a relationship with. Yeah. And, and, um, and that, and that, Usually the things that show up in the relationship are teaching you and telling you to make moves. Mm. And a lot of times you don't make the move. That goes back to the integrity pieces, right? Is, yeah. is, you know, there, there, I've, I've worked with clients sometimes and they'll come in and they'll say things like, I keep picking the wrong person. Mm. Help me pick better people. And the thing I always say is, the common denominator in this whole piece is you. What aren't you inquiring into, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying that to, to, for you to try and find what the defect is. Mm-hmm. I'm saying there's a particular patterning that keeps showing up in terms of the people that you're bringing into your life. If you refuse to inquire into that and you keep saying it's them, 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 you're going to be doing this for the next 40 years. Mm. Remember what I said yesterday about um, many times one of the reasons why people can't unhook from things is because they're coming at it from their virtue. Yeah. That virtue piece, like I'm a good dude. I'm a good person. I'm high value. I'm high value. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a, the new one that everybody a, wants to say. Everybody. <laughs> I'm high value. I'm right. The problem is that virtues always have limitations. And the limitations mm-hmm. usually show up when you choose another person. Limitations don't usually show up when you're by yourself. Why do limitations show up right. when you're with the person? Because your choices become finite. The moment that you choose another person, you become vulnerable. Yeah. And if you haven't been able to metabolize the energy of vulnerability, you begin to make the moves to try and lessen the vulnerability. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, and so I'm a high value. It's cool when I'm by myself. Yeah. In but, theory. In theory. Yeah. But when, when I'm dating another guy, Mm-hmm. And that value, and and then I'm getting reflected sense of self, and I'm I'm high value, and the person is looking at me is like, you're a mean person. Yeah, you're mean. I'm high value though. You're mean as hell. Yeah, like like I try and come and touch you, and you like you're like you push me away. But I'm high value. You're mean. Yeah. That's the, that's because the, because you're coming at it from a virtue. And that's not to say you should not have virtue, but realize that your virtue always has a limitation attached to it. And no matter which way you turn your head, you're going, you're never going to be able to see it. What actually has to happen is that people in your life help you take that virtue and help that limitation go. Offline. Yes. So you have to contend with it, right? But what we, what normally happens for people is that the moment that it goes offline, they say, you're making me feel bad about myself. You're not a good person. Yeah. You're not supportive. You don't love me. Right. And then they slowly get it right back in alignment. And then they can't see it again. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm hearing and what you're saying, and this is what so many people do and not as a judgment, but I share, you know, it's, it's creating this 
monument as your identity. Exactly. Right? Like coming up with outside. And that's part of the danger of what this kind of last 10 years, part of our cultural narrative around making an elevator pitch for everything, right? Like having to come up with on your Instagram, the quick bio that sustain, you know, sufficiently describes who you are. And so people can get it. I do this. And it's like, you're creating this container of limitation that really, especially in relationship, can tricks any ability to have vulnerability. I want to ask you one more question okay. about vulnerability. Good, good, good. So we talked about the mechanic of the mechanism of why you want to withdraw vulnerability. In relationship, when that is um, catalyzed in someone, what does that look like? Someone looking to withdraw vulnerability from the relationship, from the friendship, from whatever the partnership is. Mm. Have you ever been with somebody and things are going well and then something happens and you don't know what the hell it is, but you have a sense that sweetness has been removed. You don't know what it, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the piece. It's not, though, that's when you're watching people struggle with their vulnerability. Mm. The first thing to go is not, is not nice things mm. or saying nice things. Mm. The first thing to go that we don't, that we haven't been conditioned to pick up on vibratorily is sweetness. Mm. Mm. Think about what I'm saying. Yeah. We all know it. We all know that piece. The first thing to go is the sweetness. Yeah. Yeah. Not the love, not the love, not the, right. The sweetness. There is a layer of that sweet authenticity that gets removed. That's removed. And it's not something that you can fully call out. And yeah. either the person yep. needs to or not, they yep. gaslight you about it. Yeah. Right? Because they don't, because they don't, they don't know it. They yeah. don't, they have no, because we haven't been conditioned with understanding the vibration of that yeah. all we know is that something was there that's not mi- that's now missing and i don't even know what was there yes yes it's hard to develop the language for the, it and that's why i say the communal pieces right yeah. that we keep trying to figure this stuff out individually and it's really a communal cultivation that we're trying to do mm Mm-mm. This is so good. Mm-hmm. My brother Resma. Yeah. As we close out this episode, Oh, we done already? I Damn. know. I know. That's okay. why that's why everybody <laughs> wants us to have a 10 part. We might need our own podcast. <laughs> we can figure it out. Yeah. If you would share with the audience a piece of soul work, yeah. a practice of digesting this conversation <laughs> and making it a little more exploratory in their lives until we meet again next week. Absolutely. Um, So one of the first things I want to tell people is that this culture and this philosophy inherently um, disorients us. Mm -hmm. There's a constant disorientation. And so one of the things I talk about is that and it's particularly for black bodies. I'm talking to black bodies right now. We have this sense that we walk around and we don't share it with each other. It's, we, we think it's an individual piece, but it's actually communal. We have this sense that, uh, that 
there's something getting ready to happen. The next shoe is about to drop. Yeah. That something is happening, is going to happen, right? And I'm going to have to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. That is a prevailing kind of embodied sense that we have. And so when I'm working with bodies of culture in my office, one of the first kind of things that I work with them on is orienting, Mm -hmm. right? So... Like that couple that I was t- talking to you about, mm-hmm. one of the first things that I've done with them is, and this is just to set the kind of foundation piece, is for them to start orienting. And what does that mean? That means that when you go into some place or some place that's familiar or some place that's unfamiliar, it doesn't matter. Literally stop for a moment and look around the room, particularly behind you. Mm. Right. Why is that important? Because there we have been conditioned that something is going to happen to us mm. and we better not focus on that. Just move forward. Right. But yet that energetic kind of sense is still there. So the act of looking behind you can be over time. You can condition your body to begin to go, oh, there's nothing behind Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I tell black people to do this all the time, mm-hmm. right? Start orienting, right? Let your body, because your body's going to be like, watch it, something's happening. Watch it. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I don't call microaggressions. I just call them aggressions. Like, that's an aggression, right? It's yeah. coming. Be mindful of it, right? Yeah. And so what I say is look behind you, look up, look down, notice colors, notice things, and just find the windows, the doors, and the exits. Mm-hmm. Why? Because many, we come from nervous systems who, if we stay, we died. If we left, we died. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the double bind. So let your body actually see in this moment, in this time, I can leave. Yes. Yeah. Mm, 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 mm. And I'd love to suggest for everyone as well, um, some of that beautiful mirror work. Mm-hmm. Really notice how you feel when you see your reflection. Or how you try and avoid it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's real notice learning in any that. Againstness That's that exactly what right. up. You know, if you if you find yourself wanting to reject your own reflection, don't judge it. Take the time that you need in between right. looking at yourself, but begin to get curious about it. That's it. Where did that feeling come from and how can we soften it? How can we dismantle it? Resma Minikim's (laughs) newest book, Monsters in Love, is in stores now. And of course, you can still pick up My Grandmother's Hands, The Quaking of America, My Brother. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, sis. Love you. Love you. Thanks. 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 All right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Deeply Well. Take your time really connecting with the practices shared, really connecting with the word shared. There are some things that may start to come up. And as always, get curious. And if it feels overwhelming, get connected and get supported in the way that you're able to have that show up in your life. Meditate, please. Connect to your daily practice and we'll be back next week. Thank you for joining. Namaste. 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 Connect with me on social 
at Demi Brown. That's Twitter and Instagram. Or you can go to my website, DeviBrown.com. And if you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, don't forget, please rate, review, and subscribe and send this episode to a friend. Deeply Well is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. It's produced by Jacquees Thomas, Samantha Timmons, and me, Debbie Brown. The beautiful sound bath you heard? That's by Gerilyn Glass from Crystal Cadence. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.